Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher, and we've got a great, wonderful guest today, and his that is the Managing Director of Liebet Law, Andrew Lieb. Andrew, how are you today? Feeling culturally sensitive, I have to tell you. That's what, that's what we were just talking about before we went on, and you know, you got to get your cultural sensitivity up. That's what everyone's been saying these days. But John, John, how are you feeling like you're, you're uh, cultural? Are you international? You know, well, this is why I want to talk to you, because you have a, a continuing ed uh, real estate school and agents every two years have to, uh, con- you know, take two years, not two years of uh, training, but they have to take every two years courses uh, to continue with their licensing process. And I know you have this excellent real estate school, and I hope you'll tell us about that at some point. But there are two new courses that have been recently added to the uh, licensing process, and one of them is called Implicit Bias, and the other one is called Cultural Competency. So can you give us a little overview of each and and explain what it is and why agents have to be now cultural competent? First of all, I have to tell you, I get all my information from Mr. Worldwide. So if I'm going to do that, if you know, you got to go down to Miami if you're going to be culturally competent, because Mr. Worldwide told us how to do this. You got to become a famous rapper to be international like that. So my real estate school is called Leap School, like Long Island Education Board School. You just Google leapschool.com. And we do on-demand continuing education, audio and video for the real estate brokerage industry in New York. And there's two new courses, as you mentioned, that are required. It started out when I started my school that we only had one required course in the state of New York called Fair Housing and Discrimination. Then they added agency, then they added recent legal matters, and then they added ethics. Now they added these. At some point, we're just gonna have a required package of required courses because there's gonna be no more electives. But these are the two new ones from this year, and we got two different classes on it. And they really, for my now, point of are view, they required a, now? Because I know at one point they were it was held in abeyance, um, but it's finally now to get your license renewed. You have yeah. To so as license renewal, they're going to be required this year. We're not, I believe, at the date of that it starts yet. But people that are getting renewed after that date already have to take them. So it depends on when your license expires. So right now we're advising anyone in our school that's taking continuing ed, take those two courses because most people don't take it and have renewal tomorrow when you have to take 22 and a half hours total. So the two courses are both required. One is cultural competency and the other one's implicit bias. And as someone who drafts all the curriculum at the school, I'll tell you, I had a lot of trouble writing these courses. And the reason why I had trouble is twofold. Number one, you may not realize this, but they're basically the same course. And how are they basically the same course? Right. Implicit bias means what are your subconscious discriminatory events as opposed to being intentional discriminatory? So we all have, like, for example, John, if you went to the same college as me, I might say to myself, that's a good guy. I see you at the same golf course as me. He's my people. I say to myself, that guy plays piano. I play piano. I like you. 
So what we might be thinking is if you have things similar to me, that's a bias where we're going to determine not based on objective facts, but just based on me creating a bias to someone. And cultural competency means to understand everyone else's perspective. We think of culture as, hey, there's an Italian culture, a Jewish culture. But you got to realize there's a piano player culture, too. And there's also a culture for people that play golf. And so cultural competency is about the cultures of all these different groups of people. So if you think about it, they're very similar in that sense. And we need two separate curriculum. That's one thing I was thinking when I was writing the curriculum. The second one, which is more interesting, you tell a group of idiots, and I'm not saying that brokers are idiots by any stretch of the imagination, but you tell a group of idiots to be culturally competent, any idiots, just think about idiots. They're going to try and assimilate to the cultures they're working with. That's what they think culturally competent means. I went to Italy. I know about the sauce. Like they, everyone tries to assimilate. They call it gravy, but you try and assimilate to the place they are. But the irony of it is trying to assimilate to a culture is actually being discriminatory when you're working with clients and customers because you shouldn't treat people differently based on who they are. Hmm. So the irony of cultural competency is that if you have idiots taking the course and idiots writing the course, it's actually going to perpetuate discrimination as opposed to minimizing discrimination because the default rule is that you think, hey, let's try and be welcoming to the person by assimilation and trying to adapt their culture. What cultural competency really means and the way we teach it is to understand the cultures of the normative behavior of our real estate market and to understand that not everyone understands those normative behaviors and to help those people understand the normative behaviors of our market. What is a deed? What is title insurance? As you and I often discuss, who pays what commission? How does this all work? What's the difference between a broker and a salesperson? What is the attorney's involvement? You know, there's other states where it's not an attorney state. Right. So cultural competency is understanding there's all different cultures out there. Understanding that in Mexico, the real estate system is different than the United States. In the UK, it's different than the United States. In India, it's different than the United States. Understanding some major differences, but not trying to become these other countries or states, but instead to teach people, no matter where they're from, how our local market functions. So that's really important when it comes to cultural competency and implicit bias. I'm going to give you a big tip right now. The best tip about implicit bias you ever heard. When we're stressed, we use our gut. Our gut makes us stereotype. Stereotyping is discriminatory. Chill out and you won't discriminate. That's my concept for implicit bias. Everyone needs to take a chill pill. Yeah, but sometimes... Uh, uh... It's difficult, you know, because some of our, our clientele uh, can be very demanding. So that, that's an interesting perspective, you say. I need to point out that you're such a good associate broker that you use the word demanding to describe aggravating clients. <laughs> so instead of saying some of our clients can make you take your head and bash it against the wall until you bleed <laughs> to death and then you'd be happy. Right. You say some of our clients are demanding. You see how he does it? He's very, very <laughs> suave. That's John Christopher right there. Suave John. That's who we're going to start calling you. <laughs> but yes, we understand how demanding it is. And the biggest issue as a real estate broker is all some game where you need to eat what you kill. So these people messing with you with their demanding nature of not getting your commission makes you not pay your own bills. 
But what real estate brokers and salespersons need to do, and I was guilty of this when you and I actually started this interview today. I have so many emails and clients coming in. I'm so overwhelmed with clients in my business. I think we got five new clients already this morning that I sometimes go so fast that I become jerky and rigid. And I do things I don't mean. And I say things I don't say because I don't have time to reflect because here's the issue with implicit bias, John. We all have implicit biases based on how we were raised, where we were come from, who we know. And what we have to do is instead of letting our emotions govern us, our brain needs to govern our emotions. And implicit bias is understanding that you're going to act certain ways because the first step in an intervention, not just normative behavior change, the not just education, but the first step is acceptance, understanding that this is real, that we all do it. And I have to tell you, we can all do it. We can all do it and be nice and we can all do it and be mean, but whether it's nice or mean, it's still actionable discrimination. And when I tell you that you could lose your license, you could lose your house, you can be sued for tons and tons and tons of money, it becomes very motivating instead of to take that extra listing with the demand declining and being all badgered to spend a half an hour stroking those piano keys until you calm down. I like that advice. That's very good advice. I'm, I'm just trying to become your, your new agent. I don't know if you know everyone. John Christopher, is. I have a CD right here with me. He's a famous guy, this composer <laughs> pianist right over here. And I'm trying to get him to start striking the keys more. He doesn't realize that this is what we're doing. But I believe the best time to negotiate with anyone is live on the air. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Caught me with that one. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever realized that if you have an impasse in your real estate transaction, John, and you haven't done this yet on real life, but I think your audience wants you to do this. I think your audience wants you to bring the buyer and the seller on the air to make the final deal happen when they're at an impasse, because how would they make a fool of themselves live on the air? They would have to like have decorum because they would be worried that they're going to make a fool of themselves. So when we're at the impasse, I tell you the best negotiation Association is live on the air with the record button on. <laughs> so why do you think there's this push uh, on the racial discrimination that's going on? I mean, well, it's not just racial discrimination, just to be clear. It's disability discrimination. It's religion discrimination. It's sex discrimination. You name it. We hate others. That's what our society is. We just hate others. And hey, why is it going on? Because we don't actually mean to hate anyone else. We don't actually, and that's been the big problem between the Republicans and the Democrats, if you ask me, is the Republicans will say, we don't hate anyone. The Democrats will say, you hate people. And you hear back and forth, I love everyone. And the biggest issue is that people don't realize that subtle and unconscious behaviors can be just as damaging to others as overt and intentional behaviors. And what we have to realize is there's more vulnerable people in the community and our subtle behaviors are problematic. So to answer your question the best way, when you represent a discrimination defendant, and we've represented countless discrimination defendants, the vast majority of them will say, quotes, I was just trying to help. Because most people, most people, particularly brokers and salespersons, why would you want to be in a sales thing unless you want to have positive good energy? They're just trying to help and make someone's life better. But what they don't realize is being stressed and has feeling subconscious biases together, those two things together, can cause you to hurt someone inadvertently. And the whole point of these courses is to get your emotions in check with your brain. 
Well, that seems like there's a that's easier said than done sometimes, because especially if you're out in the field, uh, I'm sure these uh, agents that you said were trying to help were trying to help, but didn't realize what they were doing. It's definitely impossible to get done. And when I say impossible, everything's possible. But it doesn't happen from taking one course. I think that's a fallacy in life when you hear people being like, well, I didn't get more money because I took college. Like people look at like they're looking for a direct correlation with a causation. I mean, they're looking for a direct causation when there's a correlation. What I'm trying to say is that taking a course is just going to move the needle maybe less than 0.1%. But if we have different aspects of behavior that are all not just educating, informing, but changing normative behavior, you pass a point where it's a point of inflection where all of a sudden the entire industry changes. So you have to look at a variety of things together. There's those standard operating procedures that brokers are doing right now. There's increased penalties where now we can lose our license. There's these new continued education classes on implicit bias and cultural competency. There's different standards, lower standards, to be able to sue for discrimination. They're now talking about increasing statute of limitations. My point is that there's a smorgasbord. You like that cultural competency? Yep. There's a smorgasbord, maybe we'll call it a poopo platter, of different, of different avenues that we try and combat the same issue. And so I think the, the fallacy is, does algebra teach you to become a good working person? No, but the point that you learn that you have to conform to stupid behavior teaches you how to work when you have to conform to stupid behavior. Meaning algebra itself does not teach us to become always, to become a really good worker when we get older. But when you take a course in high school that is stupid and you do it anyway, and you learn that you have to conform to what your boss wants you to do, like your teacher, you're educating the masses subtly, not just overtly. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but how can somebody get in touch with you, Andrew? Well, for continuing ed, they should just go to leapschool.com, Long Island Education Board, L-I-E-B, school.com, and we'd love to educate them. Any discrimination lawsuits, 631-878-4455. Andrew, it's always a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life, broadcasting here in the heart of Southampton. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back after the short break with our next guest. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have top producer in Miami Beach, Anna Sherrill. Hi, Anna. How are you today? I'm excellent. How are you? Great, great. I'm, what's it like down there in Miami right now? Sunny and warm. It's kind of the same always. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we get a little rain, but it's sunny and Sometimes, warm. but not all like the time. usual. <laughs> so you've been a resident of Miami for some time now. How long exactly? I moved here in 99, so about 23 years now. Wow. Now, have you been in real estate all that time? I got my license in 2000, so just a year after I arrived, yes. Okay, so what made you, what prompted you to want to go into real estate? I um, I was shopping with somebody for my own, you know, to find my own property, right. and I really enjoyed the process, and I enjoyed all of that, and I... Um, I chatted with the guy that helped me and I started, I got a license and started in his little office that was just in the building I was living in, which was great. That is really convenient and fun. Yeah. That is really cool. So what brought you to Miami to begin with? I mean, where did you come from 
besides Miami? Yeah, I, I was uh, born and raised in Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, Scottsdale and Tempe, like the Phoenix area. And um, I lived abroad. I had a Spanish teacher in high school who talked several of or a few of us into traveling. And I lived in uh, Spain when I was 15. I did a foreign exchange program and I went back and co- like every summer. And then in college, I did my junior year there. So even though Arizona is a beautiful place, I needed some place that I could kind of, you know, right. have a little more international flair and um, a little more going on. So I um, moved to Boston for six months. I almost froze. And uh, That's what happens when I told the guy I was dating. Yeah, yeah. I told the guy I was dating that I'm, you know, I'm going somewhere warm. And uh, we came here together. So um, that is awesome. Yeah. So are you fluent out. in Castilian? I'm I'm fluent in Castilian. I'm fluent in Spanish. Yeah, all yeah, I can speak so now. Cool. Now in Miami, you get you get everybody, right? You get Argentines and Colombians and Cubans, and right. So, so it all a mishmash. Okay, that's great. But it helps you, I bet. Oh, it's great! It's amazing. So let me ask you the question. Let's let's talk about Miami Beach. Um, are you having the same kind of squeeze that we're having in the Hamptons when it comes to inventory? Oh, for sure. I mean, it depends if we're talking about condos or single family homes. Single family homes are even tighter than condos at this point. Um, I think, you know, months of inventory might be two months right now. Average days on the market is less than usually less than 30 days. If it's priced right, it can be up to two months if they, you know, don't price it right. But uh, it's, yeah, it's a multiple offer situation if it's priced right and it's a nice home. Um condos do very well as well. It just depends on the price point, but yeah, we're, we have a very tight market. Rental market's even tight. I mean, it's all around. So. Well, um, since you brought up the rental market, um, is that now, since we're going into summer, is that now different? I have most of the uh, snowbirds uh, come back, back North. Well, I think you're probably experiencing the same. I am Miami used to be so seasonal and we just didn't have, you know, as much going on in the summers, but it's uh, it's very strong year round now. I would say people obviously still travel in the summer, but we have a lot of people that live here now full time, and um, and then still people that like to come in the wind in the summer. So you know, some of the South Americans and some of the Europeans are okay with the heat. So um, I feel like we'll have a strong year round. Different markets, but we'll have a strong year round market. Huh. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Have you noticed a lot of people have uh, fled to Florida uh, for tax reasons, like leaving, you know, great tax states like uh, New York, you know, for example? Yes, Um, we've had a lot of influx of people from Chicago, New York, um, even California. We've had Northern California quite a bit, uh, a little bit of Los Angeles, a little bit of Southern California. But yes, we've seen people actually move here instead of just having like their winter home here, move here um, full time, put their kids in the schools. Um, that happened a lot during COVID. I mean, for many reasons, but taxes is definitely one. Right. So uh, you're, you're saying that people, cause I remember I had lived uh, at a place in uh, Florida a uh, number of years ago and to, to get residency it's six months in one day. Do you find That's people, correct. do you find people are uh, staying longer than that six months in one day? And Well, they're staying at least the six months, right? Anybody that maybe has their kids in school might stay just through the school year. Um, But um, a lot of these businessmen probably travel a lot as well. So, you know, I think it's a mix of that. But yeah, we have we have people that live here full time. I mean, I went to um, I went to a client's house the other day for his son's birthday party, and I couldn't believe all the people that, you know, I met that had just moved here from other places. So um, it's it's like a it's like a drawing you know, it's bringing all these people in. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, from, from all over. So it's great. I mean, it's the silver lining to COVID for Miami for sure. Wow. You know, I just uh, saw, I think it was uh, Pam Liebman from uh, Corcoran. Was I saying, love Pam. Yeah, she's yeah. great. I've worked with Pam before. She's awesome. Yeah, she's great. Um, saying that, maybe I misheard it, but it said that within a year's time, the Miami Beach market has uh, increased by 47% than the, the pricing. Is that is that uh, true? I would say in certain in certain areas, a hundred percent. Yeah, especially in the luxury area, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and you know another thing that's happening here, which I think is very interesting, is businesses are moving here, so they're building you know office space. And Steve um, Steve Ross from Related um, is building over two million square feet in downtown Miami. You know. Wow. Um, which is incredible. Yeah, I guess he's also doing some a big project in West Palm Beach. So he's heavy on Florida as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's um, it's definitely happening. Um, but the, the prices, and I think you've seen the same in the Hamptons because I have a lot of friends in the Hamptons and I enjoy visiting in the summers. But um, the prices have gone up, you know, depending, but anywhere from thirty to almost fifty percent, which is incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. Any uh, thoughts? Do you think that's going to continue for a while? I think it'll, you know, I don't think it'll go up at the velocity it went up that we saw. Definitely not. Um, I think we'll see it slow down and and maybe just kind of even out. I think we're close to our peak at that price point. Um, But I don't think it's going to go down anytime soon, but just because the demand is so high and supply is very low. Mm -hmm. You'll see, you know, building going on here and most of it is end users. So, you know, there isn't a lot of spec out there to even be able to to affect it. Let me ask you a question uh, since, you know, the market's going rising, obviously. How do you price, whether it's a, a condo or co-op or residential uh, house, how do you do the pricing <laughs> on the comps from, say, six months to a year ago? Because it's, you know, sky- you can't even go back that far. No, it's, a, it's like a moving target. So there's no way you can go back more than a few months, in my opinion. Right. You can go back if you can't get, you know, if there's not enough. Um, you know, inventory or, or there's not enough to compare it to. There's not comparables, but, you know, we saw homes at 2000 a foot that today are trading at 4,000 a foot on the water. So um, to, to Pam's point, you know, and there's people willing to pay that on for off markets that we're seeing trade off market today because, you know, people are looking for that. So um, what was your question again? <laughs> <laughs> Too young to have that. Come on. <laughs> um, no, so I, I I don't see I don't see prices going up a lot more, but I don't see them going down. So I think you know I think we're in a very strong market, and we'll continue to see it. But um, well, let me ask you. A, 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 I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I was just thinking. No, please. Because in the summertime, I've lived in Florida, and it it gets hot. And I actually have some relatives that are down there. They're saying they're thinking of moving because they've been there, you know, for a period of time, but going north because the the summers are now in Florida are longer than they used to be instead of having, interesting, you know, have you seen that? I mean, I think, I think people are also moving north because it's more affordable, right? So we're seeing people move north. We're seeing people move west. So if they can buy, sell their home now and it's worth twice what it was worth, you know, or a lot more than they paid, and they have that investment that they can kind of hold and use and go live somewhere else. And they're still in Florida and, and they you know, love the weather. Then 
it, it makes sense. So we've definitely seen that. I've seen areas like Pompano really grow that, you know, I don't even, you know, you just don't really know those areas that well. And so, yeah, I, I believe that there will be people moving and, but I think Miami is so dynamic and there's, it's such an international city and it offers so much, you know, it offers now culture and great restaurants and restaurants from all over moved here as well. So they opened, you know, from different places of the world that are very, very famous. So we have just um, a very interesting market, you know, um, I don't think it'll be affected by that, but I think, you know, people will take advantage and move on, which is great. So we can get some movement. No, otherwise we'd have a stagnant market. Earlier you were saying about that. um, It's not seasonal now, but in the summertime, are people still coming there and and looking for properties? So it's a different type of buyer, right? It's not maybe the same buyer because my New York buyers are, you know, not usually coming this time of year. They're coming like, you know, in the winter and they want to see more stuff when it's the season for them. But we do get um, a lot of Italians, a lot of uh, South Americans, sometimes, you know, uh, right. French. They have a so. month off in August. They can take, <laughs> they can take their time. That's what they should do here in the States. It's like, I we like should all idea. have that month. Yeah, I would siesta. love that. Like in Spain, take a siesta. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing I tell something you, it's wrong. not a bad lifestyle. Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good idea. Right. We're doing idea. something wrong. That's all. I don't know, Anna, you know, it's <laughs> I would agree. Yeah. What kind of advice do you offer first time uh, home buyers uh, coming into the market? I would say. Be ready um, to buy. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, don't get discouraged. You know what I mean? Find the right person that gives you the right advice. It's really important to have, you know, the person that you trust and that you'd like to work with and that really understands the market that you're looking in um, and has the experience to help you in that market. Um and yeah, don't get discouraged by, you know, your first or second offer because, you know, it, it could be that that's not the right one for you. And hopefully the third or fourth will make it. But also, you know, get to know the areas because Miami has so many different great areas. And so, um, you know, our, our rental market's tight, but I don't want to tell anybody to go out there and start renting. But if you can get into the market now um, and you find the right property, I wouldn't be scared to do it because I believe in the long term for Miami. So I think it's, it's a great time for everybody. Yeah. It's growing. Yeah, for sure. That is great. Um, have you seen any shift in what buyers want uh, in the sense that now that they can work at home remotely? Yeah. I mean, I think space has got much larger um, and people want to have a home office. Um, if they're looking at a building, they want to make sure that it has the amenities, you know, conference room, business areas, business center, that kind of thing, or space to have a home office as well. Um I feel like spaces are much bigger, which, you know, it really lends to knowing that people are going to be here and they're also, you know, nesting in their homes more, which, um, which we saw a lot. Wow. And if you had a crystal ball, what do you see the market for, say, the next six months going into uh, 2023? I still see Miami super strong. I mean, I see it strong for the next at least, you know, um, probably a year and a half, two years, just because of all the influx of people and all this stuff happening here. Um, but in six months, I would say um, it's it's going to be a great time to be here because it'll be our high season. It'll be a fun time to be here. It'll be exciting with everything and all the events going on. And hopefully COVID will be uh, something we're not talking about anymore and people will be outside enjoying all that. So exactly. I think we'll see a very strong market. Yeah, I think it'll be a fun time to be here for sure. It's an exciting time. So if uh, anyone had any uh, questions for you, especially about Miami Beach, how could they uh, get in contact with you? Um, My mobile phone is the easiest, probably. Uh, You can reach me at 786-382-1000. 786-382-1000. 
853-8484. You can visit my website at annasherrill.com, which is A-N-N-A-S-H-E-R-R-I-L-L.com. And uh, of course, via email. So any any of those work for me. And do you have an email? Is that, it's is that it's your... my name as well. It's Anna at AnnaSherrill.com. Okay, fantastic. Anna Cheryl, it's been a delight having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting here in the vibrant village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. If you'd like to hear this program again or any other podcast, go to WLIW.org slash radio slash real life. Thank you again for listening. And in the meantime, be sure to have an awesome journey. have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at wliw.org radio.